say the godfather of all of this shit man like from reality tv or trash tv what they want to call it to anything you see people doing on the internet world star youtube like homemade like videos man people doing pranks and stuff and he didn't do stuff as far-fetched as that man but like i feel like he influenced and godfathered a lot of the shit you see today so r.i.p man yeah it's sad dude and he wasn't even that old uh but he is an ohio legend a mayor uh you know and just one hell of a broadcaster steve i mean hours and hours of entertainment some people liked it some people didn't um but yeah dude i was shocked when i saw that it definitely took me by surprise so Rest in peace. Uh, just a Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. One last time for the man, Steve. Like, the, the king of instigate, man. Like, so you said that your boyfriend couldn't cut the mustard anymore. So you dated his brother and then your uncle, his uncle, and your uncle. And your boyfriend knows now because he's backstage. Here he comes. I, I just liked whenever... What I thought he did best is no one to step away, and it added to like the thing is when he would allow the uh, audience to sort of ad lib something where you know he'd put the mic up and some ghetto chick would be like, uh, Jerry, uh, this one for the chick with the stank pussy and the Ronald McDonald looking motherfucker. Uh, what the f-? you know, what are those? That's really what I would just that's what I enjoyed about his show the most. Let's be kind to ourselves and each other. And I wonder, I wanted to, wonder, well, wonder what his final, final thought was, Steve. You know, what was it? What was that one last? <laughs> I'm coming, Jesus. Yeah. Our kitty's good in heaven. I don't know. He's up there, but, Steve. Him and Jesus and soon maybe steve wilkos will be throwing chairs in heaven it'll just be a big reunion in the sky so until that day yeah up, up there with scott hall and rick Rude, man and, and i wanted to touch on the episode we did last week man shout out to kendra man uh for coming through and like i said before she is uh, part of the brain trust here on the show um she she has some input and uh, we talked about 21 jump street and you talked about the the fat Italian guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name. And first off, he, he has a famous father who we talked about before, um, and and he has a brother on that show. And his name is Peter Deloise. Yeah. His brother, who is on the show, is Michael Deloise. I didn't know if you were aware of who their father was. Dom. 
Dude, that's Dom DeLuise's kid. I can't believe I didn't put that two together, Steve. That's crazy. That's his baby boy. That's that's my kid. (laughs) Man. Dude, the DeLuise connect, dude. I didn't know it was a Hollywood legacy. Peter and Michael. Damn, shout out, dude. 21 Jump Street. You know, Peter DeLuise, I think, we were calling him the fat Italian. We were being kind of, like, shady about it, and that's on me. That's my fault. But the guy, he was doing it, and he, there were, the picture we had of him maybe wasn't his best. Because I saw some other ones while I was editing, and I was like, maybe we needlessly shit on this guy. Now I really feel bad, because we were shitting on Hollywood royalty, so that sucks. Gotta kiss the rings, man. <laughs> maybe Dom will forgive us. You know, man, I think we're lost. Don't worry, Mr. Henry. Oh. across America, the one name people still rely on is Cellular One. That's a good scout. This is Steve G and Mad G with Happened in the 90s, the show where we talk about things that happened in the 90s. So get out your boys to men tapes and your Patrick Ewing jerseys. If you want to be done with the kid, it was weirdly cutting out when you were saying King, Steve, so it was just kind of silence, but the si- it, it was powerful in the silence, so. I have to monitor that. It's okay. It's a work in progress, yeah. We're learning. May the fourth be with us. <laughs> well, today, my friend, we're talking about all things May 4th in the 90s. Starting off in 1990, short time for me when a police detective thinks he is dying and learns that his life insurance pays out more if he dies in the line of duty, he tries to make that happen. Directed by Greg Champion, starring Dabney Coleman, Matt Brewer, Terry Garr, Barry Corbin, and Joe Pants. <laughs> sounds like a cool idea. I mean, I there's been weird, like, I, this sounds like Dead Man on Campus, but with cops and, like, pensions. But just almost suicide paying out. I like, it's a weird concept. It's ridiculous, man. I, I watched it. I tried, man, and it bored me to death. Is it a I, comedy, I or is this more of like a... What, what are we talking here? It, it's got some comedy. It's got some action. Uh, Dabney Coleman, he's getting his O.J. Simpson on, man. He, he's bumping into cars on the freeway, and he's going on these high-speed chases and whatnot. The bad guy's trying to shoot him away, and he's not going away. He's trying to get shot down, gunned down in his car. Um, he, he's going, at, he, yeah, he's going full throttle, and Dabney Coleman is cray cray in a bad way. But uh, he, he didn't die. Spoiler alert. Um, but what I don't understand was why did they keep giving Dabney Coleman starring vehicles around this time? I, I just maybe I my pop cultural history didn't go far back enough to get the relevance of this man. Um, you're still with us. God bless your soul. But I just don't get the, the leading man qualities i don't see it yeah i mean just like stepdad vice principal energy and uh 
Maybe he caught, like, had some dirt on somebody, Steve. Maybe it was just some Hollywood, like, insider thing. I like that, though. I mean, that's why that's why you give the man the starring vehicle that. That's powerful right there. Do you remember Drexel's class on Fox? It sounds familiar. I don't, I'm not going to say I remember it, but I do. Was he in it, obviously? He was, yeah, he was Mr. Drexel. And I just remember one episode where Digital Underground made a cameo and Tupac was in it. Um, <laughs> okay. Deep yeah. dive. But, that's a weird yeah, that connection to have with that guy. Dabney and Tupac in a room. That's cool. Yeah, but you six degrees of separation purists. Did you hear that? You're welcome. <laughs> I don't like how much I look like. I'm going to look like him, I think, when I'm old, Steve. That might be me in like a decade. Well, just keep the goatee. <laughs> okay. But, but also in 1990, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie premieres. To stall a witch plotting to eat him, a boy reads her horror tales dealing with the collegian's resurrection of a mummy, a murderous cat, and an artist's cat with a gargoyle. Directed by John Harrison, starring Debbie Harry, Christian Slater, David Johansson, William Hickey, James Remar, Steve Buscemi, Ray Donald Trump, and Julianne Moore. And I think some of the, like, each segment of these, like, the stories were written by horror movie icons, if I'm not mistaken, Steve. I, I I wouldn't be surprised because I actually watched this one and I, I liked it. I liked it. It, it, it gave you the, the chills, man. Um, Christian Scott, Slater's Chris, like in it, like he's the kid that's sort of like telling the tales, right? Christian Slater's not telling the tale. It's a young kid that uh, I, I don't know who it is. I actually, you know, I, I do know who it is. It is a young uh, Matthew Lawrence. Uh, that's who it is. Sorry. My, but Christian Slater is in this. Christian Slater is in this, and he's in the, the first segment with Steve Buscemi. And Steve Buscemi is the collegiate guy who resurrects a mummy. And the mummy ends up killing Christian Slater's sister and, I guess, uh, one of Christian Slater's friends who was dating his sister. Um, and then by the end of that segment, uh, the, the sister and the best friend, they come back to life to kill Christian Slater. Um, at, at the command of Steve Buscemi, he, he basically was looking for a scroll that was buried with the mummy. He got a hold of the scroll, and when he got the scroll, he like gained these powers over the mummy that commanded it to do all this shit. Damn, dude. Fucking, I bet, but I believe if we look into this, George Romero had something to do with this because I dated a chick that was super into horror movies and I remember watching this and, uh, man, somebody else, Clive Barker, maybe there's, like I said, I feel like some horror directors wrote or like directed this other, like little vignettes in this. Um, but Tales from the Dark Side was also like sort of a Tales from the Crypt like show, if I'm not mistaken, in the 90s. Yeah. Which I wasn't as into. It wasn't as hardcore as Tales from the Crypt, so I think I was just like maybe wrote it off. But this movie, if I remember right, was pretty dope. Like it's not. It bad. was. Yeah the the movie was pretty hardcore. Uh, like I said, it's got Christian Slater. I kind of do a Jack Nicholson, but I'm younger, kind of. Uh, Radon Chong, she's looking fine. So, and um, yeah, she she's in the final segment, and she is either married or she's dating this artist, and he encounters the devil, and the devil basically like slaughters 
his buddies in front of him. He's like, you know what? I'm going to spare you. Just one thing. Just never mention that this happened. Forget about it. All right? Just that. Just that. So, lo and behold, years have passed. This guy, he's getting intimate with Radon Chong. What does he fucking do? Oh, I'm so close to you. I, I feel like I, ha- I could share anything with you. He tells her about the fucking monster. And Radon Chong transforms into the monster. Basically, the monster. Oh, damn, you damn. No, he was fucking the monster, Steve. I thought I told you. Like, she, I guess the monster take, took over her body. Uh, or maybe she was the monster this whole time. I don't know. But it creeped me the fuck out. Uh, never look at Radon Chong the same. Um, but Debbie Harry in it. And what do you think about Debbie Harry? Can you move your shoulder, Steve? I need to see the face completely. Debbie Harry, you know, I feel like Julianne Moore, maybe she's curvier, but she has a Julianne Moore feel, you know? Maybe she's like that girl next door mom, attainable hot chick, you know? And it's funny you mention that because this was Julianne Moore's debut, her feature film debut, and she's the first fatality in this movie. She plays Christian Slater's sister. Oh, damn. I just pulled that out of nowhere, but um, I'm more of a Raid Radon Chong. Uh, so fine, crazy. She is Chong's daughter. Very cool. Very cool. I wonder oh. if she. Uh, wonder if she's you know into the family business. If you know what I'm talking about. Radon, reach out. I know you're listening. Radon, hit us up. We'd love to have you on the show. Let's smoke about it. Uh, also on May 4th, 1990, Without You, I'm Nothing premieres. And it, it stars, what's the girl from Sandra Bernhardt? Sandra Bernhardt, and it's basically a retelling of her stage play. And I just lost interest because in the first scene, she's wearing this. And I don't know if she's mimicking a black woman, but she's wearing that garb. And she's talking about how comfortable she is in her skin. And I was just like hard pass on all of this shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dude. I get it. And also, I was never the biggest Sandra Bernhardt fan to begin with. You know, she's had her couple of moments in stand-up that I've seen, but it's strange. And a movie based on her stage show or one-person show, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I, but... In all fairness, I would rather hang out with her than Sandra Bullock. Uh, but also in 1990, uh, ABC is airing the final episode of Just the Ten of Us. I don't know if you remember this oldie but goodie, but... I remember that girl. Is there a guy, like a bald dude, that's the dad? He's the basketball coach of the local high school team, and he's the star of the show. Um, it's supposed to be his his outlet because this is during a time when it was like oh i have seen you do stand-up comedy at a show in los angeles you you want a sitcom and what was his guy, name what was his name he is from russia he's got like a weird last name i just heard this guy mentioned and so i think they were shitting on him so i probably just you know but i remember once i hear his name i'll remember bill kirschenbauer kirschenbauer yeah it almost sounds like, remember how the guy couldn't pronounce the kid's name in Rookie of the Year where he's always like, Flowenbacher, Blashin' Booper, you know, so Bill Kirschenbauer, he was he had the energy of like a, um, a comedian you'd see on a cruise ship. 
thing. One of those, you know, like or like a Las Vegas, one of those people that just does like, you know, casino shows every two hours at the Luxor or some shit. And like this, the lady behind me is the mom, and like it's so unrealistic because like there's no way this mom looked like this and she popped out all those kids. Yeah, t- t- just the ten of us, eight kids. Just the ten of us, man. And uh, the real star was Heather Langenkamp because she was the scream queen from the '80s, uh, from the original OG Freddy Krueger movies, man. And she had already done those by the time this came out. I believe this started in 88, maybe 88 or 89. And uh, Heather Langenkamp is actually one of the hotter daughters of the show. She just always had to play the the nerdy, yeah, like, uh, Jesse Spano, save the ocean, save the turtles. It's like, man, underneath those glasses, you are a fucking fox. So shout out to Heather Langenkamp, man. And, and also, this was a part of the original TGIF lineup just the 10 of us I but, recall uh, that. but yeah also heather you said what's her name langen cat langen camp langen camp heather langen camp she was uh in the so first hot. three or four yeah um, yeah she defeated freddie a bunch she was like the one that actually beat him right yeah she was she was the the main the starring role of the nightmare on elm street well, shout out. Yeah, I do remember her. This show, I just, I feel like it was always on USA in syndication. Maybe you saw it like, you know, on the weekend or when you were homesick or something, but it was never like high on my radar. But uh, also that same day in 1990, Muppets creator Jim Henson makes what out to be his final public appearance when he appears as a guest on the Arsenio Hall show. He would die less than two weeks later. Man, dude. That is weird when the, it's like so close. And he probably looked fine. You know, did, I mean, did, was it not, was he, was it known that he was sick? I don't believe so. Um, I mean, I, I remember when he died as a kid, but it didn't like register to me that that was the person that made all of this stuff. Um, I just knew that it was a, a sad time. Somebody died. Um, but like in, at this appearance, this was his second appearance and uh you know he did his kermit he had a kermit alongside with him and they introduced a new band member of the electric mayhem clifford and he was the brother with the dreads like he was purple oh yeah okay i remember that dude oh yeah man what did he die of again cancer see dude it's just a son of a bitch. I hate cancer. And if he lived, if he would have been alive 10 years later, we'd probably still have the dude, even if he got whatever he got in 1990. It's crazy. Man. man RIP to another legend, man. Uh, but in 1992, Fresh Prince is airing their season finale, Strip Tease for Two. Will and Carlton become male dancers to get Vivian's bracelet out of pot. I mean, I forgot about when you brought this up. I had a vague recollection of this, but I mean, if nothing else, Alfonso Ribeiro proved that he can definitely, he has a, another career alongside this at Chippendales. Dude, when the episode is Carlton centric, like, I gotta take a gander, man. I, I know all of these episodes like the back of my hand, but this one I'll never forget. Um, e- even down to the creepy pawn shop lady. She frightened me, man. You don't like her, dude? It's not that I don't like her. I, she scares me. 
that chick wanted to just take Carlton down for, uh, I mean, it looked like she wanted to maybe just, like, Bam Bam Bigelow his ass into bed, honestly. What was her name? Angela? I just, like, she's, that's a salty woman, Steve. She's gonna Agnes. give you Agnes. Oh, <laughs> you don't want a, an Agnes coming at you, especially with that size, Steve. Yeah, she'll come on you. And uh, it's been a while since we've done the banks, uh, been to the bank's residence. Um, I don't, I can't remember the last episode we covered, man. But uh, we start the episode off with Carlton asking Will for some money. He's like, "Give me all your money. I know you have fifty dollars." Like, whoa, right? Like, you Carlton Banks, bro? Like, I'm, I should be asking y'all for money. That's not how this goes. And he, he says some shit that just goes over Will's head. He says Westline, Westworld Airlines is about to fall prey to a corporate raider. Will's just like, that's crazy. What the fuck are you talking about? Also, I do like Will, very cocky, goes, when asked for $50, goes, $50? I could take 25 women off of that. <laughs> like, damn, bro, where are you going? In L.A. Nope. at that, I mean, this man balling on a budget. But, yeah, Carlton's got an inside tip, Steve. And uh, this is what put fucking uh, Martha Stewart in jail. It's put a lot of people in jail. And this kid's out here just trying to insider trade his way out of a mansion. I don't get it. Yeah, he only has $50 and he needs 100 to buy stock in Westworld. And he breaks, it, he breaks it down to Will like this. We buy stock for $2 and sell it for $8. That way, you can go anywhere you want to eat. And the girls could eat too. And then they oh, owe you. <laughs> I like this idea. Yeah, all right. I like how uh, arrogant he is, too. And he's like, well, let me take you out of the ghetto for a second. But he's trying to, like, explain everything. He's like, Jesus, dude. I love that energy. <laughs> and, and at first, Jeffrey was like, man, that's illegal. And Carlson says, like, so is that French nanny you're dating. But now, Jeffrey won't end. Shit, it's it's cool to do bad things sometimes, right, Jeffrey? Mr. Carlton, here's a 20 spot. And also, what stock? I know it's on the down, but, like, you only are putting 100 bucks into a stock. You ain't going to make shit. Like, who? why are you investing? And, Jeffrey, you know better, bro. You're old. You should have known better than this. You're the OG. You're supposed to teach the children, man. And before we kick off into that classic intro, we find out Vivian needs the clasp of her bracelet repaired. And she says, be be very like considerate because this is a valuable piece of jewelry. And so they look at each other and they see Ty and his cousin. You know who Ty and his cousins are? I mean, this is the worst possible moment to deliver a, gold, a diamond encrusted bracelet to somebody. I don't care who it was. They're literally like, we need all the money we can get. Cha-ching. But this is where I'm going to stop for a second, Steve, and say, like, putting myself in a position of a teenager and, like, any chore or anything. Did you ever, like, steal some shit from your family to do any? Like, I never did this level of, like, scumbaggery, I don't think. Never. Never from my family. No. Never, ever. I mean, I definitely lied to my mom and dad. I definitely did shit I shouldn't have done and maybe even used money that they gave me in a way that I lied about what I was going to do. So technically there's a gray area, but just straight up stealing a piece of jewelry and pawning it off. Like, 
I mean, Uncle Phil, if you catch a fucking, if you get caught, I'd be like, we can't do this, dude. Shredder, you, the Shredder's gonna fucking, the voice of Shredder's gonna dress me down if we get caught. I can't handle this. Just his presence alone will have me thinking second and third. And mm. like, after the intro, they're already at the pawn shop. Will and Carlton wasted no time. It's like, all right. And I question this also because your kids, how like you don't even know what this is worth. So this is crazy that they're doing this, but they go to this pawn shop. It's owned or operated by Agnes, who is just a salty dog of a woman, Steve. This is like a black large Marge from that uh, Pee Wee movie, you know? And she wants to get it extra sloppy. And if, if you know what I'm talking about, and we're not talking about lunch lady shit. Yeah, she want to make a Carlton sandwich. Yeah, she wants a little tasty treat. But Will's all, they're trying to be all about business. They do haggle. And I think they eventually get like 400 bucks for it. But this is a diamond encrusted bracelet owned by somebody in Beverly Hills. I'm assuming it's probably worth 10 times that, if not more. So they got took. Hopefully it's worth it. Well, the pawn shops are just like GameStop. You give them a whole gaming system in like 25 games. All right, $2. Here's $5. Here's $500 of store credit or $3 of American money. Wait, what? <laughs> That's my all my movies. Are you telling me I can only get 20 bucks? Yep. <sighs> I need an eighth of weed. Okay, fine. Here. <laughs> this time you walk into your car. Yeah, right. Um, I'll be fun. You'll see me again, bud. <laughs> okay. And one of the like tiny side narratives is Jeffrey listening to his the Dodgers game. On your stupid the fat piece of shit. <laughs> I like that they're used to it though. Like you'll just be eating dinner, and all of a sudden they'll be like, Trying to eat Damn, bacon he... and eggs over here. I almost fucking spilled my croissant on the floor. What the fuck, dude? You got money on this game, Jerry? No. Also, what is the like? He's got some like CBS Sports broadcaster earbud in listening to this game, Steve. He's wired in. Like, what? It, where's the radio at? Like, this is the Banks family. They can't afford TVs in that kitchen. I don't know why. But I guess the man is always on the move. And it also, Hillary wants to be in this little uh, dirty debutante club with, the, with these rich folks in, in Bel Air. And uh, Uncle Phil is basically pimping her out. You can get men with money and they can drive you away in their car. Yeah, he's just trying. He's, he needs somebody to take this chick off his hands, basically. So I guess this is a like a club where you sell your daughter off, you know. Some kind of arranged marriage sitch. Um, but then we cut to the next day, Steve. So, you know, stocks have been bought. Bracelets have been pawned. And it looks like everything's going great. Because Will and Carlton are on the couch. Carlton's sucking on some kind of fake cigar. Will's enjoying himself. And the stocks, I think it's up 300%, Steve. So, riding high right now. 300. And Will, he's already spending his money. He's like, man, I'm going to buy the Raider X. I'm gonna buy the Laker girls. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna get a Burger King, and I'm gonna hire all topless counter girls. And I'm I, I mean, that's a genius business idea. I don't know if the licensing would work with topless, but 
if you got a choice of going to a burger regular or a topless burger king in your town i'm i'm going to the topless one straight up i mean that's just a choice how can we get to the titty <laughs> titty nibbles i'll take a titty nibble and a whopper to go Okay, you, Steve, you look like a kind of candy store. This is a genius idea. Is it? Like, I, I like how Jeffrey used this as an excuse to really say what was on his mind. It's like, bro, you're staring at them while you're shouting these things, too, man. I just want to get back on that. Like, what the hell's your problem? You got bricks in your pocket, I mean, I, an angry Brit is a scary thing because they got weird words that you don't really understand, but... So the reason he's yelling at him is that even though they had the success, as soon as they reached 300%, basically, the, st the stock tanked. The company they invested in uh, filed for Chapter 9 bankruptcy, and I do like this because Will knows nothing. And at first he's like, yeah, every, all this like speak, all, everything's been positive. So when you hear Chapter 9 bankruptcy, Carlton's face like, all the everything he just goes flush and will's just still celebrating like what's that mean man how much more money we got and carlton's like uh, there is no money dude <laughs> like we're screwed yeah what does that mean chapter 11. Uh, you culprit fat piece of shit. <laughs> like damn jeffrey Steven, wank us. <laughs> but they've lost the, they've lost the money steve which means they've lost the bracelet which means they're about to lose their lives if they get caught because uh, Uncle Phil is going to rip both their heads off. He's just going to pop them like grapes, basically. Well, they're, they're losing blood, too, because that's what they sold. And, and, and they got a little couple nickels for that. And they start looking in the classified. And Carlton just basically shut Will's dreams and hopes down. He's like, man, you have no skill set. What, 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 what kind of job are you going to find in the classified? And all you good for is flirting with women and, and dancing to wild music. And he's like, milk strippers wanted. Check. Which I love. I, I mean, I guess that's how you got to get employees somewhere. This is when the classified ads were everything. So um, they found that. And uh, Steve, I also, I got to say, giving blood is a desperate attempt to get money. Done it. Been there plenty of times. And I mean, very, I have a lot of funny stories, but you know. But they're, you know, they're tapped out. So Will, he's going to shake his dinghy in, in front of some ladies. And uh, he's, he's totally cool with it. I mean, he doesn't even seem to be hesitant. I'd be super freaked out, but it does say you can make 500 bucks in a night. So, I mean, that's exactly what they need. Mo money, mo money, mo money. And meanwhile, Uncle Phil is pimping his Hillary out for the fancy rich people club. And uh, I don't know if you caught this, but Ashley, they're, they're trying to set up a babysitter for her. And she says, like, I, I can look after myself. I'm 14. And Hillary says, that's what Drew Barrymore said. And I didn't know that Drew Barrymore had emancipated herself at the age of, like, 14 or something. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Now you, I do, It's not something I recall, like, commonly. But, yeah, I think she did. She just had, like, Hollywood parents, I think, that were, like, stealing all of her fucking money. Oh, wow. Or maybe they were crazy or something, but... Yeah, this whole thing is very bizarre, but this does seem like some shit that rich people would do. You know, like, let's all get together and try to put, like, get our kids to fuck each other. Keep this money yeah. where we, it belongs. Some Jack and Jill bullshit. And, and while everyone's out, Jeffrey hears the phone ring, and he takes down the message, 
and Will walks in and Jeffrey relays the message saying that uh, Boogie Bun's agency called. Uh, you have a job in the evening and they ask that you bring a spare G-string. And before Will even tries to explain, he's like, I heard nothing, I know nothing. Keep that shit between you and y'all. Banana slangs called and said they need extra thick and creamy tonight. It's like, dude, you're an adult, bro. And uh, like, Will's uh, not of age to be slanging that D on stage. So possible many crimes about to be committed. Um, But Will's super into it. He's got an outfit, which is weird. It's a weird, like... Sultan? Aladdin, Sultan, Iron Sheik theme, uh, which I don't get, but, I mean, he was going to pimp it out in some way. Um, But as, like, is it here where there's, like, some confusion where there's, like, an address on the counter, and he's like, yo, Carlton, give me the address, and, like, instead of the address to the stripper thing, they get the address to the Hillary thing. The Gingham Turtle Restaurant, yes. And Carlton picks it up. He's like, Gingham Turtle Restaurant? Sounds pretty sleazy. Sounds like there's some sluts there. Let's go. (laughs) I love that, Steve. I mean, Carlton's ready. He's like his uh, pimp, basically. And we're at the end of season two. And at this point, Carlton has came out of his shell. And that's one of the purposes that Will serves in this show. Like, you know, he's got this uptight family that's snobby and rich and everything. And he he wants to bring some life into the house. Um, You know, like, dude, live life a little bit. And as we're seeing now, Carlton is gambling. He's taking chances in life. And I appreciate, I like this Carlton. Yeah, he's got some balls, dude. He's got like, that's what Phil or Will does. Like, he's, like, sort of empowers this kid. He's like, just stop being a pussy. Uh, but in this, actually, Steve, we kind of see Will chicken out a little bit. And it kind of explains what you just said, where, you know, we get there, they get to this restaurant. And I do like when they get there also, there's, like, this snobby, like, Mater D. And they, you know, of course, the, the answers they give are perfect. To, so where they're still, like, think that they're at the right place. But he's like, well, I forget what he says. He's like, are you ready to go on? And I was like, yo, they're supposed to be, where are the other guys at? I need to oil up. I need to stretch and stuff. And I'm supposed to be second in line. He's like, you're the only one. It's like, bro, like you, you, the vibe of this, you didn't get any weirdness at all. You're like, man, I don't know if we should be stripping in an olive garden or whatever this is. Like, this is weird. The, the old white lady's walking in that didn't tell you, hey, maybe this might be a Bible meeting. I mean, but I honestly, after we see what we see, it ends up probably being a moneymaker that they need to look into after the fact. Uh, Because, you know, weirdly enough, this this show, these people like this, whatever this rich club is, they were going to have a show. I think they were going to do like some opera reenactment or something, but instead they get what I forget what his name is, uh, what Will's name is in this, but he comes out, starts dancing chickens out will does in his weird iron chic like sinbad outfit or whatever the fuck you want to call it and then carlton in a stroke of luck comes out and these weird old ladies turn what should have just been a nice get together for some young people into just a tawdry just stripper affair steve it's very bizarre and very man Blanche and Claude and Becky, they with the shit. 
and they pan like they weigh, and they ready to spend take it off. <laughs> like, damn, lady, check an ID. But Carlton gets out there, Stephen. I gotta say, I mean, at first he's a little hesitant, and but they're enjoying it, and then Billy Jean comes on, and I, this is where it really pops off, Steve. <laughs> Well, you know he's got a background in this, man. Alfonso Ribeiro, he doesn't just try to do this shit. He's been doing this shit. Uh, he was in Michael Jackson, was it Coke commercials or Pepsi commercials? Uh, he, he's got viral videos from way back in the day of him as a kid, breakdancing and like, bro, he, he is a multi-talented dude. Um, and like, we got to see some Carlton dance in this. And he kicks it off doing a little, <laughs> and then they, like you said, the Billy Jean kicks in, and then that's when he does his full MJ, and the ladies are loving it. Ah, and I love that Viv and Hillary are like sitting in the middle of all this. These women are, and I know there's people standing and going crazy, but you didn't clock that your son on stage ripping his clothes off until he's like, oh, half naked, like what the fuck. This isn't Madison Square Garden. Like, he's right here. Yeah, dude. That wasn't that big. Like, you didn't clock that when he still had all his clothes on. Like, you think oh, he got to keep the money, though, Steve? Do you think Viv let him keep all them ducats he got from the dancing? Because I'd be like, this is my money, Mom. I made this. Yeah, the, the, the black moms in these sitcoms, they're, they're all, like, higher, like, altruistic thinking. Like, no, that's bad. Take that money back. Just like Florida Evans. That is dope money, JJ. That's dirty money. But I i mean, Viv just straight up embarrasses this dude on. She's like, Carlton Banks, put your clothes back on now. <laughs> Mommy. <laughs> oh, the mommy, dude. I mean, he killed this. I, you're right. The Carlton episodes, they're the best ones. You can't beat it. Where, bro and like that part right there is the funniest part in the whole show man like he does the mj shit and then the... <laughs> dude so, i was like i played that shit back like and i've seen that several million times man. uh well you know they've been caught at this point and they we cut from that to the house and this is the nightmare, Steve. Uncle Phil is straight reading them the riot act. They're on the couch. This is, I've been here many times. Your head's are in your hand. You're just trying to get through this. And I do like, there's some comedy in this because Uncle Phil's going in. He's like, do you realize what you did? You cost Hillary the chance to meet her husband. You know how important that is to me? <laughs> and he's like, wait, wait, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know the but when he i forget will's like still trying he's like yeah man like you you did crazy stuff too you know it's like leave it to beaver and uh phil's like do i look like a white guy named ward it's oh. he sounds like shredder dude <laughs> it's crazy well they they told him like about the dancing he already knows about that man and then like finally carlton tells him like so i'm afraid to tell you this dad but uh we never got that class fixed and that's when he's laughing he's like you never got it <laughs> I go, what? what do you guys think and then will says uh i don't know reward for our honesty <laughs> what else can i do you fucking 
<laughs> I'll kill you, motherfucker. Um, but yeah, and I do like also he's he goes down because this guy's a judge or a lawyer at this point. This motherfucker goes. He's like, okay, so run me through everything you did, and they, he, they're like, so. Uh, we did this insider stock trade. He's like, well, that's a federal offense. Um, we pawned stolen goods. He's like, well, that's pet petty larceny. That's a crime. And uh, stripping, indecent exposure. So right there, Steve. I mean, Will's looking at a solid, like, 10 years in jail here. <laughs> On top of being minors while doing all of this. So Don't do that. You're going to get five to 10. <laughs> Where was that guy at? Um, but... Did you see the blooper afterwards of that same moment where Phil snaps? I was so fucking funny, dude. <laughs> oh, man. What a great episode. And for the next six weeks, I don't want to hear your grief, or I'm calling the feds myself. <laughs> I don't know what that was for, but it was just great, man. Like It made the blooper the real, blooper. Steve. I love it. I, I love a show that gives you bloopers at the end. Martin did it. They did it. I mean, I'm sure a lot of sitcoms did it, but I just, I love a good blooper. I'm a sucker. I guess this probably ain't the best time to tell them we ran over the mailbox. <laughs> and one final thing, you know, you think that Hillary was made a fool, that these uptight women are appalled at what they saw and like the stripping and all this. We find out at the end of this thing that these chicks want to hire Carlton, who they know is like a kid and underage. They want to hire him to fucking strip later at some other thing. These chicks are crazy, Steve. For, for the yeah, for the lady's ninety year old ninety year old mom. Like, I need to just start learning how to dance though. Apparently, I need to get like a G string and just some rhythm and just try to make this work. I'm trying to make some money, Steve. So let's, maybe that's the live show. You do whatever you do. And I'll I'll do some stripping at the end. Oh God! You need to introduce me to some of them people. You need to you need to meet some of them people, become friends with them people, and shit. Hey, them girls tip. They're good tippers. These old, these old blue hairs love a nice banana sling. Nice little, you know, suggestive hip thrust. I'm just saying, man. And, and they head back to the pawn shop to try to get that bracelet back. And the Agnes, she says that she's only obligated to hold it for five days. And it's day six. I like how Will's like, come on, come over here. I like how he tries to finesse it. It's smooth. Come on, we talk the same language. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing yeah. this? I, I mean, there. But Agnes is a bit. I respect Agnes as a businesswoman because she like five fifty is the deal. Like that's the best offer. So you got six. You got five fifty five. Like I'll, I'm open to bidders. So you know, they don't got the money. But Carlton's got about $550 worth of Dita slang if they put on the right song on that boombox, Steve. So, hit it! Work that thing. <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of strange, like, weird male prostitution illusions here. Both do, both Will and Carlton almost sold their, their ass. And did sell their ass, really, if you think about it. So, yeah. And also, Uncle Phil's uh, pimping out his daughter. So th there's a lot of barter and trading and pawning of sorts throughout this episode. Shit, he bought Iron Viv a fucking BMW, a new BMW to take Hillary to the shit. 
You remember that little fun fact? I wish I had enough bread just to be like, look, I, you need to do this. So I'll give you a beamer. I'll do anything. It'll be a good get all the strips. Phil, what do you need? And uh, that following year, 1993, Batman the Animated Series is airing The Demon's Quest Part 2. Batman discovers Razak Ghoul's plan to flood Earth with chemicals and return it to a lush green planet, which will destroy all life that now exists. Yeah, and it's probably not great to come for us to cover a show for the first time, and it's like a two-parter, like the second part of a two-part, but I think this is, one, a great episode of this show. Yeah. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of this when it came out, just because I think I was more into X-Men, and this has more of like a old-school feel, like film noir. It looks like kind of like those old Superman cartoons from like the 50s where it's, you know, that old school animation style. But upon watching this, man, just every part of it, it's really like high quality. And I forgot one thing in particular, just before we get into the actual episode, the intro, so fucking cool. It's long and it's always the same like action scene, but I think it's like a great intro and it's a great, like it shows you the animation style. It's like a great preview of what you're gonna see. I love this show. I'm going to go back and rewatch it after watching this one. The intro sets the tone, man. And that, like, just like the show itself, the intro is dark. It, it kind of has that Christopher Nolan effect. Um, and we find out Ron Zagul got his daughter hovered over this deadly chemical, this, this green chemical. And her name is Talia, I believe. Talia Al Ghul. Talia Al Ghul. And I, I keep wanting to call him Raul Julia. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> when I was typing, I kept like defaulting to Raul, but uh, Rachel Ghoul is like a he was featured in the Christian Bale movies, he was his like mentor. And in this, you kind of see that because uh, Rachel Ghoul's trying to like basically have Batman take his place in this secret organization that he's the leader of. Um, but he's a cool character, he's not my favorite Batman villain just because it's kind of like. I don't know, he's just like a cheesy, almost like if you compare him to the X-Men villains, he's like the apocalypse. You can't kill him. He's ageless, he's timeless because of this green goo that you're seeing in this episode. It's called, I mean, the pit's called the Lazarus Pit. I don't know what the green goo is. I think he actually calls it like goo or something in this. But it's what makes him, he's like, he's old, he's hundreds of years old and he uses this to sort of rejuvenate himself. And in this episode, we see there's also some other shit that you can do with it, too. But very, you know, cool villain. And one thing, he's voiced by a very prominent uh, voice actor and an actor that we know, at least I know, because he was the scientist in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 um, that Mm. they partner with. Um, He's a voice actor. I know him most for this, but um, I have a cool, I'll bring it up later, but a cool aside about Ninja Turtles 2. But... That guy's name is, oh fuck, I can't remember what his name is. I'll look it up. But um, one thing I do want to say before we get into this too much, the guy who voices Batman is named Kevin Conroy. Um, he is like sort of synonymous with Batman just because he voiced him and was sort of like the guy who, you know, was associated with him for so long through the animated show and stuff and through video games and a lot and he just passed away too so rest in peace to that dude because he's a beast yeah 
very notable voice, you know, very memorable, powerful. He's very perfect for this. Um, but we, like I said, this is part two. So we come into it, like you said, he's holding his daughter over this pit and about to throw her in. Um, and Batman sort of intervenes, saves the day, um, and foils that plot. But Rachel Ghoul is like, I think he basically just hits like a self-destruct button. He's like, we're out. Batman, you're trapped. We got to go. I got a plan to, I got to, you know, control, like, fuck the world up. So, peace out. And, he refuses uh, to look over Raja Ghul's daughter, which, I, I mean, I don't know. I, the, the first part, I didn't know that he was supposed to be accepted into this association. But, yeah. like, the fact that, like, he's supposed to be looking over this hot, you know, I don't know, she looks Middle Eastern. Uh, Talia, Talia. I was yeah. like, bro, you tripping, bro. You don't like girls, Batman. He's, I mean, they're in, they're into each other. Like, that's sort of one of his love. Like, he has, like, a thing with Catwoman, too. But Talia al Ghul, I think, at some point, like, turns on him. Like, they have this love affair here. And it's like a Romeo and Juliet thing. Her dad hates him. She, He's evil. She's the daughter of an evil dude. But they're sort of in love. Um... And I mean, Rachel Gould's ready to throw the bitch into the pit, which we find out will kill a normal person, uh, but a sick person, it will like rejuvenate you. So he don't give a shit about her. Um, but she's fully into this like cult or whatever it is. And to the point where she, you know, she likes Batman. She's saved by Batman, but then she just goes with his her dad and is like, bye. Hope you don't die in this like cave in or whatever. Yeah, he ends up being locked in this crumbly cave. Everything is crumbling. Like, who made this shit? Famous Amos? Fucking Kiva O? Like, <laughs> they, the shit was, like, everything. Like, as soon as they got in, like, the cave was already existing before Batman and Robin got locked in the bitch. But as soon as that door shut, everything just... I like how it's planned, too. Like, it's like, we have to design this space and have a button that if I gotta leave... This just destroys all evidence, but conveniently so I can get out of there, you know, (laughs) I don't want to die, but I want this thing to collapse. So figure that out. Totally unaffected, man. And and somehow, some way they end up in the snow, Robin and Batman. And it's just like, man, now that we're in the snow, want a bone? Hey, Robin, is that an icicle in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Um, but yeah, they survive conveniently. They, I love these type of shows too, because they're superheroes. You don't really have to put too much thought in it, but they narrowly escape that they're in the middle of Siberia. And then somehow they're just out of it. You know, <laughs> it's like, fuck it. And I like how they get back. And Robin, I think in the beginning of this, like in the previous episode was like held captive, uh, by Rachel Ghoul. So Batman's like, where are we going to go? Where are they going? Like, where would, you know, they've destroyed this. So where to? Robin, you were held captive. Where the fuck are they going? And Robin's like, oh, you know, they kept mentioning a desert stronghold the whole time. And, you know, Batman's a detective, so all it takes is desert stronghold. Oh, here's a satellite named Orpheus. It's 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 over the Sahara Desert. We're going there. We're good. Cut. You know, but he is the world's greatest detective. So I guess that's probably the explanation. And apparently a... Hell of a swashbuckler. And oh yeah. They, they they track down this coordinate to where they think Rajagul is, and and he just parachutes down. I mean, fuck it, dude. Middle of the desert. He's you know he seems to know where he's going. 
parachutes into the Sahara. Conveniently close to a bunch of guys on camels that he, you know, hunts. He gets the, you know, the rear guy on the rear camel, bodies him off there, gets his thing. And I like how he disguises himself, but he doesn't take the cowl off. So it's just like, hey man, the guy in the back, did he always have that Batman mask on under the little sand joint? Like, <laughs> that ain't Larry back there anymore. That guy's fucking yoked. Yeah, something happened to his eyes. Does he have some kind of condition? Yeah, dude. Where'd your pupils go, bro? What the fuck? And, like, he camel jacked that motherfucker. And Batman is on a mission. He he gets greeted by uh, Pepto-Bismol leggings at the door. I don't know what his role or purpose is, but I I guess he's the second in command under Razak Ghul. Oh, Ubu, the bald dude? Yeah, Peggy Bunny. Mr. Clean? Yeah. Um... <clears throat> it's very Lawrence of Arabia this episode. You know, we got a lot of desert stuff. Very, it just has that feel. You get that Middle Eastern music with the Batman shit. And I, I didn't look this up, and I should have. But it almost. Do you think that they just used the Danny Elfman theme from the move, the '90s movie, in this? Or is that like sort of something attached to Batman even before that? Because it almost, it sounds almost identical to Danny Elfman's song. I mean, you know, they, they could find loopholes around shit, but I mean, you're asking the wrong person, man. Yeah, that's I like I said, I should have just looked into that, but it does sound cool. And we get, like I said, that Middle Eastern sound to it. He's hunting. He, he immediately gets to Ra's al Ghul's desert stronghold, you know. Uh, and I like that. I mean, he's immediately found out. This guy's trying to sneak around. He's not doing a great job, but immediately that some Ubu's like, hey, man, what the fuck are you? Where are you going? He just pieces out. Like, <laughs> hey, did anybody see that thing. guy over there, man? He's going over into the latrine area, dude. What the fuck, bro? And he beats the fuck out of Ubu Akbar. And, and eventually he gets ganged up on by his cronies. And all of this fracas is, is interrupting with Rajah Gul's incest session. And he comes out with his daughter. Well, he just pops out with his daughter. And he's all sweating and shit. I'm like, whoa, what's going on out here? what the hell is this and the guy's like this guy tried to sneak around he's like bring him to me it does have a rachel gould does have kind of like a swinger vibe though like if he was like stroking his chest like bring him up to my quarters real quick so i can give him some interrogation if you know it's like okay dude this is the lazarus okay okay Putting Viagra in the water. You putting Viagra pills in the water, dude? I'm boning up here. This is weird. I'm having a weird reaction. But I do also like he's caught. Batman's caught. You know, they contain him. He's strip searched. But fuck removing the mask. <laughs> like, leave the mask on, dude. That's something for Raj Ghoul. Like, he, like, take the utility belt, take everything off. Keep that mask on, no. I like the anonymity part of it, you know? It's like a glory hole type thing. If you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Ubu. Ubu. Bring the oils. <laughs> I like the way his mouth moves behind that man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a weird vibe. So now, you know, sure. Batman's caught. He's with Ra's al Ghul and his daughter, his, his daughter, sex bride, whatever the fuck's going on there. Um, and this is where he has to do his, like, dia- diabolical plot layout, where he's just got to tell you what's going on. I mean, Batman's like, come on, dude, like, you caught me, 
just tell me what's going on. Just, I deserve that. And he's very accommodating. He's like, yeah, you're right. Let me just break it down real quick. And uh, basically his plan is this. Um, all these, the Lazarus pit that we saw in the beginning, there's a bunch of those all over the world that he's found. He's going to drop bombs in them and then use that satellite we were talking about, the Orpheus satellite, to at this perfect time set all those bombs off and I guess basically create a global catastrophe and start the world over again is his thing. He just wants to make like nature take over again. Um, some Thanos shit. Yeah, very Thanos-esque. And, you know, so now Batman knows his plan and uh, he's like, okay, well, that's fucking, you're crazy, dude. Uh, that's going to kill a bunch of people. And Rachel goes like, well, a bunch. It is going to kill a bunch. It's actually going to kill 2,056,986,000 people. I figured, I did the math. So, sorry. To a T. And that, that's a very 90s villain of you. Like, I, I know I got you captive and I'm about to take your life, but I'm a very generous kidnapper. So, here's my five-year plan in detail like here's my social security number too because you're not gonna need it where you're going you son of a bitch anyway i'm gonna go fuck my daughter up here in the lazarus chamber <laughs> again dude so batman he's got to do something steve he's got to step up and basically now he you know it's pretty easy he gets locked up in this chamber they're gonna keep him alive so he can see the majesty of what Rachel Ghoul is talking about. And I do have to point out, weirdly, they're in the Middle East. There's all these Arab guards and everything, but they have this one guy that looks like a weird, like, renegade leprechaun in the Middle East who's in there, like, in the jail cell. Like, why do they need two guys to look at this piece of shit? And then immediately he gets his ass booey. But I was like, why is there just some ginger, like, rat-looking dude in the middle of the desert? Like, what the fuck? Somebody in the Sahara was down with a swirl. Ray Shao Ghoul only likes the freaks because they're the only ones that can tolerate all this incest going on. <laughs> like, well, can, okay. So, Batman gets out, gets back up topside, and he just has to, like, take it to. He's got basically, I think, 20 minutes or 15 minutes to. Fight Rachel Ghoul, stop disaster, save the world. And that's exactly what he does, Steve. I wrote it was going to take four minutes. He has five minutes, I think. And it takes about four and a half minutes. And then basically, after some swashbuckling, after a little uh, Robin Hood men in tights action that we get, he just says, you know what? I only got, I, I got 30 seconds, but I want 15 seconds to kiss your daughter afterwards. So I'm just going to take this sword and I'm going to chuck it like a spear and just fix everything in one little fail swoop. And he does. And, and while they're fighting on that MC Escher staircase, yeah, he fucks up that satellite. And we, we didn't mention how there was a key conveniently in the man's mouth. Like, where did, where did you get it? Oh, it's a 30 minute animation show where we don't care for detail. He just has one in his mouth and he broke himself free. It's Batman, Steve. He had that shit cheeked for a week and a half, dude. It's like uh, Scott Hall or Razor Ramon with a toothpick. You don't know how many he's got in his mouth. He's got a bunch of jagged metal in there. Um, and uh, 
it is bizarre, dude. I mean, it's it, he makes it look easy, and he is Batman, so I guess that's what it is. But this man, there's not a MacGyver could couldn't do this good. There's not a situation, a cave in, a fucking uh, a ginger guy trying to rape you in a jail cell. He'll get out of anything. A marriage. MacGyver can do that, by the way. <laughs> he can he can match Batman and Steve five more. You said th- you th- well. I mean, they're both normal people, Steve. So you know, let's—that's a grudge match I'd like to see. I don't know how we do it, but I'm into it. That's a comic book: MacGyver versus Batman. The man makes time bombs out of toothpicks. What are you talking about? But Batman saves the day, Steve. Um, Rachel Gould plummets into a Lazarus pit, which we have been told kills a man. Talia al Ghul comes out of the rubble and they share a moment. They kiss. She's like, I'm not like my, even though I like, I'm, you know, I'm into what my dad's into. I don't like how he went about it. So sorry about that. Sorry. You're not going to get in this, uh, but dust, but let's lock lips one last time. And they do see it's beautiful. But are you into butt stuff? You can, I'll fly you to Gotham. Do you know how rich I am? I can buy you hope, bitch. I'm rich. And he, he asked him, like, will I be your prisoner now? Yeah, girl, my prisoner of love. Then he, like, kisses her. And he's like, you know, my boyfriend, I mean, Robin, is pulling up in that Orville Wright 200. I got to take off. I'll catch you. That's... He's into watching, though, if you're into just saying. Exhibition style? And, Robin. And Raul Robin. Code, code pink, Robin. Code pink. Yes, Master. I mean, Batman. warm up the jacuzzi in the bad plane. <laughs> and warm up those seats. Um, but yeah, Raul Julia, he's not finished because we see a hand at the end. He's like, yeah, motherfuuckers, I'll be back. It's very Shredder esque, Steve, to bring Shredder into it again. It's very, you know, to be continued. And it will be continued because this guy, you can't kill him. He's like a Sally May loan. It's never going away. It's just going to haunt you forever. Shout out to Columbia House. Uh, but somebody who probably wasn't watching this episode of Batman the Animated Series is probably Rev Run and Daryl McDaniel and Jam Master J of Run DMC because they were releasing Now with the King. Well, they're tougher than leather, Steve. In, what in do you think about Run DMC? How like how big into Run DMC were you, or are you? Because I was just gonna say, I there's some there's singles I like. Tougher than leather is one of my favorite. I, that's a great workout. I listen to that a lot. Uh, I, there's a few other ones, but I was never a big Run DMC fan. So yeah. uh, before you got into rap, man, you know, like I, I was. My parents listened to rap. Like they're they're about the same age of hip hop, so like I grew up listening to some of that stuff in the '80s, which is Run DMC's heyday. And like where we are now, currently, man, if, if you listen to some Run DMC, it's like watching the Sanford and Son episode, which I still appreciate as well. But what I'm saying is the game has elevated so much, and they'll probably admit it, man. You know, they were still part of before the boom bap when things were simple, the rhymes were simple, the beats were simple. <laughs> And then, yeah. like, Rakim came in. And then people like uh, Twista came in. Bone Thugs and Harmony. People with, like, complicated bars and stuff. And, you know, but, like, 
they bring back a good time. And Run DMC in, in this album, man, I feel like they were a, a reflection of that time in 93 when things were starting to become more gangster. Uh, no more Adidas show toes. Uh, now we're rocking Timberlands. And, you know, the, it reflected in the music that they put out, whereas back in the 80s, during their heyday, man, it was more about party music. And my Adidas. Unconceivable, unbelievable. See, and also, I mean, they were pioneers too, obviously, and they uh, they added like guitar riffs and shit, like adding rock music in, obviously, with the Aerosmith collabs, which we all love too. I mean, we love that shit. And they, uh, which WWE song did they do a uh, remix to? The King of Rock, who? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it, did they do The Rock? No. The King they, of they Rock, who? Like it was DX. That's who it was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And they actually did the national anthem uh, for WrestleMania Five. That was the first pay per view I ever watched, man. So like they were the first group to transcend hip hop. Back when you know they didn't have as much of a presence in the Grammys and things like that, when people weren't really searching for them, this was still Michael Jackson time, Prince and Madonna. You know, Run DMC was one of the, the few representatives of hip hop that people outside of hip hop listenership knew about. So like you said, they, they were pioneers and they walked so that Public Enemy and Wu-Tang Clan and Migos could run. Hell so yeah. shout out to them, man. Uh, but Down With The King, this is a classic song. The album, mm -hmm. if, if you want that early 90s boom bap, they got that too, man. But also in 93, Funk Dubious releases Which Doobie You Be. But yeah, Funk Doobies, man, they're like they were part of that collective with Cypress Hill and House of Pain. But, you know, based out of Los Angeles, but I, I, they just could never get that crossover appeal, that yeah. breakout track, man. But in uh, 1998, May 4th, a federal judge in Sacramento, California, gives Unabomber Theodore Kaczynski four life sentences plus 30 years after Kaczynski accepts a plea agreement sparing him from the death penalty such a bizarre story man like uh i don't know do you know a lot about this uh loosely man i know it's been documented in so many different ways and i i just know that too much education on the wrong person can be a deadly thing man and well it's bizarre though like this guy was created this dude was created by the cia i know he's like a professor and whatnot but like he took part in those lsd studies in the 70s mm. they did and they fucked his bro they whacked his brain out so like then he went on to do this unabomber shit which in and of itself just the crime he was doing what a terrifying thing i remember when it was going on it was just like people mailing it's like somebody's mailing bombs to politicians and these people and this was a wild time and uh if you look into it it's just a really you know it could be conspiracy theory it could be conjecture but I think it's pretty well documented that this guy's brain was like fried by LSD in the 70s by government experiments and shit. And it, you know, created this weird dude who lived in a fucking cabin in the woods and would just create bombs and mail them to people. What a weird fucking thing. Yeah, man. Make me rest in pieces in hell. In uh, 1999, the final episode of News Radio airs on NBC. And I watched this, and it, it, there's a reason why we're not covering it. 
Um, I, I like to cover all of the, the series finales that we can, but this one just wasn't a blimp on a radar, man. Um, well, it was like kind of a half-hearted one, you know, like they lost this huge thing. And I think that's probably, you know, you could debate whether or not this show would have gone on, but it's like after Phil Hartman died, I just feel like it, they just didn't, you know, they tried, but there just was no momentum to continue the show. At all, man, because it was supposed to be his starring vehicle. And, you know, you, you do have an all-star cast around you. You've got, uh, what's the guy from Kids in the Hall? Dave Foley, yeah. Dave, Dave Foley. You, you got a young Joe Rogan. You got Andy Dick, who was in movies throughout the 90s. Uh, Maureen Tierney, I believe her name is, the cute little girl. In yeah, Moira, Moira, Moira Tierney? Moira Tierney, yeah. From um, Liar Liar, I think she played the kid's mom. She played yeah. Jim Carrey's baby mama. And you got dude, homeboy from Office Space, the guy, the boss, the dude. Yeah. That guy, I mean, that guy's a fucking amazing actor, not just in comedy and sitcoms and stuff. But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of pieces, but they also replaced Phil Hartman with John Lovitz. And I feel like, I don't know, that there's not a lot of love for that dude for whatever reason, you know, from us too. But it just was one of those things. It's sad. But they weren't getting a lot of love from the network either. I've heard a lot of people talk about this show because there were a lot of hitters on it and there was a lot of talent there. Um... But, you know, NBC kept moving them around. They were trying to go up against people and, like, you know, change their schedule. And if you move a TV show around to different times and days and stuff, eventually it just dies. You know, there's no way to come back. Especially in the 90s, man, when we didn't really feel like VCRing every episode that we wanted to catch. If it's like, if it's not readily available that fits our schedule, like, man, we're not going to go search for it. Uh, but, but on that same day in 1999, Robbie Williams released The Eagle Has Landed. And I remember this being on TRL. I remember seeing this album cover and I didn't understand it. Uh, apparently, this was a compilation of his first two albums. And uh, he was big over there in Europe across the pond. And he came over here and he dropped that Millennium song yeah. and just hit the ground running, man. Yeah, I just remember he had like a vibe like that one dude from Oasis that was just kind of like a prick. Like, I think everybody just kind of thought this guy was like sort of a prima donna. And I do remember like you said he was on MTV, but I remember like a Cribs where like he had like a castle or something. And he was he just had like this douchey vibe, you know, I didn't care for him too much, but I did like Millennium. It was kind of like a trippy, like it was a nice pot smoking song to me. It, it really is. So shut out the millennium. Uh, I'm, I think I might have to add that to the playlist. And also in 1999, Dr. Doom releases First Come, First Served. And this is actually Cool Keith. And Cool Keith is one of those rappers who takes on different personas and Dr. Doom being one of them. And First Come, First Served, it's one of those concept albums, which I appreciate, especially in hip hop. He's got uh, different skits, and he, he has skits that play into the into the songs, man. And the album itself is over an hour and some change. Sorry, I went on mute because I was shuffling papers. An hour, the album's an hour long, you said? It's about hour and 17 minutes. I mean, and Cool Keith, no, nah, man. And, and like Cool Keith is actually one of those MCs who somehow some way i guess just stayed in the underground because he's actually a talented rapper man he's got a unique style it's it's very run on but not like in the silk the shocker way he he has control of it 
silk to shocker. It's just like all over the place. And like, you know, I'm coming in and I'm coming out. And I'm coming, like, and it's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, Cool Keith, the name rings bells. Like, I've heard that name and it's like, was he a Def Jam rapper? Because maybe he was in Def Jam Vendetta too. Maybe that's also why I know him just loosely. Maybe Possibly, not. no, I don't I don't think he would be with Def Jam. Cool Keith was too underground for that. But um, yeah, dude, I mean, I don't know too much about him, but I've heard that name before, but uh, it, so it sounds cool. Like you definitely sold me on it. I, I don't know, like I'm weird. I like fucking like, I guess it's probably not the most lyrical rap. My rap taste is like shit that's like epic beat. It's more like beat based. Cause I usually listen to music when I'm working out and stuff. So it's like some of this lyrical stuff, I just never get peeped to it because I'm not, I don't know. I just, it's never in the, it's not, it's hard to like pay attention when you're doing other shit, listening to music. You're more like paying attention to the shit, you know? I, I do. I, I appreciate the lyricism, but th this is why people say black folks don't listen to Eminem, which I, it, it makes sense because when you're in a party setting or and, and people have even had this, argument about Nas when, when you're in a party setting or a group setting and you just want to hear some good beats and some like whatever whatever the fuck they're saying it don't even matter just like sound cool on some beats Eminem he's more than that he'll give you more than that I can give you great production and I can give you even more good stuff with my vocals and like good lyricism but people aren't putting down their drink and like stopping what they're talking about be like man did you hear that bar yeah and yeah, I mean, I get that, and but I wouldn't really say that about Nas, because I can think of a lot of Nas songs that I would like to hear at a party, but I do get, and I am indicative of that, like, I don't know, some just the, the lyrical guys, I respect it, and there are, in my past, I've definitely gotten into it, but, um, you know, I don't, I'm not proud of it, but that's why I have people like you, Steve, because you can explain these pimps that I don't pay attention to, and explain why they're geniuses and why I'm a piece of shit for not listening to them. I just want to run down a, a, a quick line up of his monikers. He goes by Dr. Octagon, Dr. Doom, Cool Keith, Black Elvis, Dr. Ultra, Crazy Lou, Papa Large, Rhythm X, Keith Korg, Dickie Long Docking, Platinum Rich, Underwear Pissy, Number One Producer. I mean, some of those, I don't, they feel, I feel like a couple of them take them out. Underwear pissy uh, being the main one, but, you know, I like a guy with some uh, monikers. I like AKA this, AKA that, AKA, keep it going. Underwear pissy though, you can lose that one. Edit that out. Dicky Long Docking, that's a keeper though. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a porn name and a great rap name. I like them both, so. Yeah. Maybe that was Will's name in the episode. But uh, any call <laughs> any callbacks, dingleberries, or takeaways, sir? So I kind of mentioned this before. So um, the guy who plays the voice of Ra's al Ghul in Batman, um, his name is, and I'm looking this up because I want to pay this guy, his name's David Warner. Um, again, he was the scientist in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I had to re-record um, an episode about the Ninja Turtles movie uh, with a guy, uh, Scott from Writer's Bagel Basket. And in this conversation, he sort of illuminated like a alternate reality that we could have experienced uh, dealing with Ninja Turtles 2, the movie. And that's why I'm bringing this up. So David Warner played the scientist. 
But in an alternate re- universe where the first movie wasn't deemed too violent, what they were going to do is make that scientist a character in Ninja Turtles called Baxter Stockman, who's sort of like an evil scientist who creates machines to kill the turtles. Uh, he's actually played by Tyler Perry in one of the newer movies. But in this alternate universe, if that movie got made, Samuel L. Jackson was going to play that dude. And we would have got to see Samuel L. Jackson as a megalomaniac scientist in Ninja Turtles 2 in a dark version. Because the director who got kicked off of the first movie had already written the second one. And it was going to be super dark. Bebop and Rocksteady were going to be in it. And Samuel L. Jackson was going to play Baxter Stockman. So I just thought, man, what we missed out on. I love Ninja Turtles 2. It was my favorite Ninja Turtles movie for a long time. But what an amazing movie we could have seen if that actually ended up happening. And missed opportunity. And it's not like Samuel L. was missing work in the 90s, man. Like, I I wonder if anything else would have to sacrifice for him to do that role like we didn't get jewels from pulp fiction because he was playing baxter stockman or something like that so around that same time like 93 92 so maybe he wouldn't have been true romance talking about eating the butt for those two seconds <laughs> i eat but, pussy ass everything i'll eat the pussy i'll eat the ass i eat every motherfucker thing um what about you steve uh, well, in 92, Blossom is airing the season finale, Spring Fever, and she basically has this crush on this guy named Vinny, played by David Lasher, and David Lasher was Ted in Hey Dude, and he was that, like, hunky, good-looking, like, brunette dude that was in, like, a lot of shows that we've seen, and her dad doesn't like this Vinny guy, and so Blossom, she just runs off. And and that's how we end that, that season. She just leaves. She she leaves home. Damn. Runs away from home. Cliffhanger. My, yeah, my Alec, you crazy. We we gonna holler at you. We we gonna we gonna check in and see about you, my Alec. Yeah, that you you just don't leave the household like that. Whoa. Running off with Ted from Hey Dude. What the hell? What the fuck's wrong with you, girl? I'm a. I've been on the road. I played in bands from Sacramento to goddamn New Jersey City. Shit. I, yeah. I know what's how guys think. Yeah, in my opinion, that's a bad fucking decision. Man, six. Where the fuck I were should've... you at, six? Yeah, I want details. But also in '92, uh, Jack A. She has a cameo in Designing Women in Shades of Vanessa. And Jack A. She is Meshack Taylor's uh, girlfriend, eventually fiance, and, and she is just so high sadity. And all the girls are just like, "What the fuck?" They they look like their Anthony. They love their Anthony, and they they kind of have this motherly vibe. Like we don't feel comfortable releasing uh, our, our loved one to to this man eater. And uh, I mean, Jack lady, A. Fits right into this. I mean, it's perfect. She meshes in with those ladies that you'd think they'd accept her immediately. They're like, you're so, you're so us. Except that you're black, so that might have been a thing. Maybe they're racist. But here's the thing, though. Meshach Taylor, Steve, she was playing his wife? Uh, playing his girlfriend, and they were talking about future plans, and she's just like this uh, elitist who's got all this money. She's like this celebrity. I don't know how she got it or whatever. Maybe she's a publicist. I don't know. But, um, you know, she she's basically going to, like, help Anthony elevate. I didn't know Anthony was into the 
was down for the pee. I thought he was. Really I didn't either. I didn't think he was into tacos. I thought he would be ordering hot dogs. You know what I'm saying? Uh, bratwurst. Yeah, man. And like, I grew up thinking that too because I never watched the show. Like, you know, he he has a very sassy vibe to him, and also that character he played in Mannequin, very moist. Um, about, yeah. <laughs> very moist. I mean, he did. I mean, he was just a flamboyant guy. But I guess maybe that was just a, it's like you know, track some bees with honey. You know. Shout out to Meshack Taylor, man. And uh, also in 93, Roseanne is airing Glengarry Glen Rosie. And Chris Farley makes a cameo. And it's only for five seconds, but we love some fall dog. And Tim Curry, he had a recurring role uh, playing a potential sperm donor of one of Roseanne's girlfriends. Uh, Sandra Bernhardt, by the way, let's bring it full circle. And she finds out that Tim Curry's a scumbag. Uh, and he basically takes this money that was owed to the Connors from this house that was being sold and he just gets the fuck out of Dodge um, but Sandra Bernhardt still wants the fuck and I think that's all we got um, please like, share, subscribe, and comment please tell your sister she wants to be down with the king please check out Crushgasm every Wednesday uh, with Kendra, who's been crushing it, as always. B3F Podcast with Joey and Steve. And don't worry, B-Movie with a man in way. This is Steve G and Maggie with Happening in the 90s. Mommy. I'm pissed now.